So it's about that time of year when families are, you're starting to consider about potentially putting up your Christmas tree. Some of you have probably already put them up. You've probably put them up in October. How, look, how do I put this nicely? If you did put it up in October, you would what I would call a weirdo. Look, something you need to know about me is this. My wife will lovingly call me the Grinch, mostly around Christmas, because those are the times when I, I, I don't want to celebrate. I don't want to celebrate because I, I didn't really grow up sort of celebrating Christmas. Not in this way. And look, I'm a dad. I don't need another pair of socks, so why am I going to celebrate? But let me set the scene for you when it comes to, in regards to my family and the Christmas tree. My family and I, you know, right before we moved to British Columbia, we decided we were going to get rid of our old Christmas tree. Knowing that as we moved here, we would buy a new one. But you know, there's many things to, 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 to figure out, to consider. We had to figure out with a new space and a new home, where we would put the tree. We had to figure out the height of the ceiling. We then have to also figure out how, do, how tall the tree needs to be. Because my children demanded that they needed to put a star on top of the tree. And of course, even though stars should be out in space somewhere, it's totally reasonable to tell a child that, yeah, every star goes on top of a tree. So there it is. Our tree is up there, but there's more problems. Once we figured out what tree we wanted, which had to match sort of my vision of what it needed to look like in our house, my wife went out and bought out the tree. She bought it, she brings it home, it's this gigantic box. Then you have to go and find the box cutter to go and open this box up. Then as you open it up, you have to cut all the sort of the wrapping and the rope that ties the tree together. You have to make sure all the pieces are there. And then not just that, as, you t as you're taking it out and you build the stand there and you're starting to, uh, you know, raise it up, what then happens is you have to then unfold, you know, all the branches. And after you've done that, it still goes on. And then you've got to put the lights on. And you can't just put the lights anywhere. You have to fill up the space. You don't want some empty black hole that's just going to suck in the life of Christmas and then Christmas will die. You gotta fill it out perfectly. Then you gotta get the tinsel and wrap it around. Then the baubles, and then you got your little family trinkets. And then finally, we're done. And it's, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to a home. It enhances a home. It does add this sort of, you know, Christmas flavor to our house. And the tree, look, my tree looks like something Martha Stewart put up. Before the whole prison thing, of course. But as we dive into Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56, I want to remind us that this is, this is not a story placed out on its own. It's not a standalone thing, but it's a part of many pieces to God's visionary story. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, this now, it all culminates in Jesus. So there are three things I want to walk us through. 
So the first is passivity to activity. And the second is merciful to the fearful. And thirdly, from me to we to he. Okay, so that's passivity to activity, merciful to the fearful, and then from me to we to he. So previously, from Jeff's sermon last week, Mary has been told by the angel Gabriel that she will give birth to the Messiah. So my question is, what would I do next after that interaction? Look, if I was, if I was Mary, if I was a 12-year-old girl, then I would tell everybody on Instagram. I would post it with a smiley face or a, whatever it is, a little giggle. And then that would be the end of my story as a 12-year-old girl. That's it. We're done. But what Mary does next is actually unexpected. Look, this would be a time to play it safe. This should be a time where she should stay indoors, not attract any type of attention or trouble. This she doesn't need that right now. Just play it safe. So, leading up now to our first point from passivity to activity, Mary is passive when she receives the news from Gabriel. She's like a non-active participant to the news. But when you look at verse 39, after being told the news, we are told she gets ready and she hurries to go see her cousin Elizabeth. Hey, don't think of this as a spur-of-the-moment trip. This was not a YOLO trip. The distance she would have had to travel was about 130 kilometers. That's about 80 miles. For Mary, that would have been a three to five day journey. So this wasn't a spur of the moment. She was thoughtful about going out, preparing and rushing out to see her cousin Elizabeth. So why does Mary go on this trip? What makes her do what she does? See, Mary's joy, the joy of the news, the joy of now, the culmination of Jesus coming, the Messiah to save the people, to save her. Mary's joy causes her to respond. She has to act. She has to do something. It causes Mary to go and share the joyous news with Elizabeth, someone she deeply loves and respects. See, Mary's joy is made complete when she expresses that joy with Elizabeth. And it only enhances, you know, fuller and, and, and more so because when she sees Elizabeth six months pregnant, this old barren woman that she once knew is now pregnant. The joy just enhances. And then we find out that John the Baptist in the womb of, of Elizabeth leaps with joy. The joy is shared amongst all of them. This would be like a, a woman. Let's, let's name her Thelma. And then Thelma decides she's going to buy a convertible. And then she decides, I'm going to go pick up my best friend. Let's, let's call her best friend Louise. So we've got Thelma and Louise. They jump in their convertible together, jump in the convertible and they drive and they... they 
they're sharing about each other's joy and the joy of being in a convertible and the wind and all those things. And they're holding hands and they potentially jump off a cliff. But let's not go there. But they are experiencing that joy together. Church, this has been a really tough time for us. In particular to the parents with, with children, to the, that one lonely student in the dorm room, sitting there by herself, to the elderly who we dearly love, who are stuck behind closed doors, You know, the weather is not going to make it any easier. The clouds and the rain are just going to make things worse. And the uncertainty of the future, for a lot of us, will will take a hold of us. It will grip us with fear. Parents, in particular dads, I know it's easier to stay home. I know it's easier to hold that cup of coffee that you're drinking right now. I know it's better to stay underneath your blanket and to stay warm while watching this all. And not to bother to get the kids ready and dressed and the mayhem that they cause and create in the household and the, and the tension. I know it's difficult that you get to pack their bags and their snacks and things for them to do because they'll be a complete distraction to others if if you do bring them to church here. And then you have to load them up in the car and then afterwards you've got to figure out which kid needs to nap and which kid needs to be fed and load them back up and, and go out or go home. I know, church, I know there are cases where families cannot come to the church, cannot come to the gathering of God's people. But dads, there's some of you, some of you need to go put on your big boy pants. Because you know what's at stake, right? If we keep this up by remaining passive, our children will conclude that Christian passivity does not require Christian activity. We will teach our children to sit back, relax, and let Jesus serve. Let Jesus serve you. Dads, in these difficult times, let's lead and love our family to Jesus. Because we know that Jesus, by giving his life as a, as a ransom, serves us and we need to respond. We need to be active, not passive. We need to respond by making disciples, by baptizing them, by teaching them every command that's in this book. Martin Luther, the German theologian and reformer, says this. At home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Church, we need the church. To my second point, 
merciful to the fearful. In verses 46 to 55, we get Mary's song, better known as the Magnificat. It's the Latin word for uh, magnify. An artist by the name of Ben Wildflower created an image inspired by the Magnificat. And you'll see it here up on the screen. The, the picture itself, the image itself, was actually also posted on the Washington Post. So the artist, you know, put in his two cents of, of what the picture meant to him. But also the article and the author of the article uh, describes what they think this poem meant and, and how the image and, and Mary's song sort of connects and the, and the message it's trying to tell us today. But when you take a look at the image carefully... There are a few things that stand out. First thing to me personally is the stars above her head. Shouldn't they be on top of a Christmas tree? Why are they on top of her head? That's my question. But when we look carefully around all the wording that surrounds her. A lot of those words are sort of transposed from the song now to the image. And if you look at the words carefully, they are words of revolution. That's why she has her fist in the air. Her right foot is crushing death, that skull, while also crushing Satan, the snake. So Mary really is a multitasker. Here's my concern with the image and also a deeper concern of if you don't translate the Bible well, you can create your own message. I grew up in a poor neighborhood. And the attitude amongst my peers was that we wanted revolution. We did. We truly did. But not in the way that you would, ima you would imagine. Revolution for us was actually having more money. That's why so many of the families I grew up with played the lotto or gambling, or whatever it was, to win more money. The thought behind it was, if we are sort of financially equal, then we would be socially equal. That was the, rev that was the revolution for them. Or, most openly thought that we could do better than the rich and powerful. The thought behind it was, if we could overthrow the government and get the places of power and the places where the money was at, then we could bring change and justice to all. See, the cry of the artists and, and, and others seemed to be, the, the, it's the cry of justice, but not a cry of mercy. The problem is Mary's song is not about human revolution, but rather a celebration of God's rightful action. The song is a celebration of the rule and reign of the Messiah. Because Mary knows it will be unlike any kingdom before or after or imagined. To add more clarity to this, the definition of the word mercy is this. Compassionate or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender an enemy or other person 
in one's power. We are the offenders. And God has a right to give us nothing but a death sentence. And that's why in verse 48, 48, it points to God's mercy because he's mindful of us. He doesn't have to be. Verse 49 then points to God's mercy because he has done great things. He doesn't have to do great things. Verse 50 points to God extending his mercy to those who revere him. He doesn't have to extend mercy. Verse 51 points to God showing his mercy through his actions. He doesn't have to act. Verse 52 tells of God's mercy through the lifting up of the lowly. He doesn't need to lift us up. Verse 54 tells of God's mercy by giving of good things. He doesn't have to give us good things. Verse 54 tells of God's mercy in helping Israel. And it doesn't have to. You see, like Mary, understanding God's mercy leaves her in wonder of him. So for us, understanding God's mercy should leave us in wonder of him. Think about those times when you get pulled over by the police for speeding. I wouldn't know because I've never been caught. I mean, I, I don't speed. But like those times, we all get nervous. We start to make second guesses of how fast we were going. We start to think, oh, what did he catch? What, what did he catch me at to what I was actually doing? I don't even know. I wasn't even paying attention. And the cop comes, you know, comes by your car. You, the window goes down and he's, he's asking you the question, do you know how fast you were going? You have no idea. And at the end of it, for some reason, he lets you off with a warning. And on the drive home, Everyone in the car, we're all trying to figure out why. Why why did he let me off? Was it because I looked like, you know, like a good person? Was, Was it something I said? Was he just in a good mood? But no matter, part of the thinking is, you sort of like him for letting you off. Oh, there must be something good about him. Because he let me off, the guilty party. See, John Donne, a 16th century English poet and priest of the Church of England, writes this about God's mercy. God's mercy hath no relation to time, no limitation in time. Whom God loves, he loves to the end. And not only to their end, to their death, but to his end, and his end is that he might love them still. So come to know and understand, like Mary, the mercy of God, and then be in wonder of him. To my third point, from me to we to he. First of all, me. Mary's interaction with the angel Gabriel was a sort of a a, a private and personal affair. That that was really only for her, 
Only she was approached by Gabriel. She was alone with, with Gabriel. It was just her. No one else could witness this. And when she goes on this journey to visit Elizabeth, she goes on this journey alone. And then if you think about it, she had a lot of personal time. We know that because of the distance, it would have taken her three to five days to travel. So she had a lot of time to think through and to contemplate about the words and the lyrics of her song. And when you look very, very carefully, the, the very first two lines are actually very personal and sort of almost very private. If you look at the second end, like the second half of verse 46 and then verse 47, she mentions that it's her, her sort of her soul and her spirit that rejoices and glorifies. Basically, what she's saying, what she's actually referring to is her, is her inner self, or like all of her. All of her will, her emotions, her thoughts, all of it. All of it is worshipping God, all her senses. Look, think about it. After interacting with the angel Gabriel, having that personal moment where you see an angel before you, something that's never happened to her, and remember she's 12, and receiving that type of news, the, the, there's no way you can come out of that situation normal. There's no way you can come out of that experience as a normal person now. That'll be like, that'll be like saying, that'll, or that'll be like going to a school. I'll just randomly name the school from the top of my head. Let's imagine there's a school called MEI. Now, you might be thinking, I'm going to go into that school like a normal person and I'm going to come out like a normal person. Guess what? You will never come out of that place normal. MEI doesn't send out normal kids. Look, many of you will claim to know Jesus, but if you knew the Jesus that Mary personally knew, you would live differently like Mary. You would speak differently like Mary. You would love differently like Mary. And you would worship differently like Mary. That's what the news does. That's what the interaction does. It changes us completely. So you get the first bit of it where it's about just about Mary. In particular with her song, the first two verses. Then as you move on, now we get to the we section. Mary now shares all this, you know, uh, all this sort of news and this joy with, with Elizabeth. All while, remember, Zachariah, Elizabeth's husband, is still mute. He still can't speak because of his sort of unbelief. Mary and Elizabeth are sharing in each other's joys. More so, you know, because of with... Now they get to talk about it and share it and express it. And, and, you know, Mary will get to rub, you know, Elizabeth's tummy. It's a great joyous moment for both of them. Even within her song, you start to see from verse 48. When you start to see from verse 48 how the song changes its tone. It starts off from 46 to 47 with a very sort of personal viewpoint. But then from 48 onwards, it goes to now a wider viewpoint. Mary, though being illiterate, creates a song with the theological knowledge of God putting into motion the saving of his people. 
I have never skied in my life. But I know if I were going to ski, I should end up or go to Whistler, where all the Australian convicts are to make you feel safe. I know that in order to go down a ski run, you need to first get up the mountain. Then when you're up there, you can sort of, you know, look down the mountain and sort of see your way through and see where, you know, where all the things and obstacles are. See, it's been a long, long uphill journey for Israel. Not just for Mary, but all of Mary's relatives and all of Mary's ancestors, all of them. It's been a long journey. But with Mary's song, and where Mary, is at, where Mary is at, and the baby inside her, all of those things, now we're, we've gone up the hill. For Mary, she knows this is, this is the pinnacle of God's redemptive story. She's on top of the mountain. She's looking down. She wants to see how this sort of plays out now. See, Mary's song informs us that, the, that God is gathering his people under his rule and his reign. That gives her joy. And it should give us joy too. Then lastly is he. So from me to we to he. The Gospel of Matthew uses the, uh, uses the words Lord and God 59 times in the total of his Gospel. In the Gospel of Luke, it's used 194 times, three times as often. And the two Gospels are actually almost identical in, in length. The word Lord is used 26 times in just chapters 1 and 2 of Luke. All of them refer to God. So I'm going to safely assume that Luke is emphasizing that the Lord Jesus that he's the most important character in this narrative, but also including in Mary's song. Then when you look at Mary's song and how she sort of frames a, a lot of her song, she frames it a lot and starts a lot with the, the terms he has. The idea of these things are already done. They've already been achieved. We're living in sort of the here and now of what God is going to do. That's why when we look at the verses carefully, you'll see her start about he has been mindful. And he has performed the mighty deeds. He has brought down the rulers. He has fueled the hungry. He has helped his servants. It's done. It's a done deal. She is, she is totally reassured of, of this. Even though it hasn't physically happened in front of her, she knows it's a done deal. See, most of the time when I, go, uh, when I go with the kids, we go shopping and it's just me and, and them. When we go to Walmart, um, they love going to the, the toy section of Walmart. And they will always ask if I can buy them certain toys. You know, they'll grab one from the shelf, Daddy, please buy this one. And then they'll put it away, they get distracted and they'll grab another one that they love more. I usually say to them, I'll think about it. But as parents, we know what that means. We know it means no. There are times I, I do say yes. But I ask them to wait. So 
birthday, wait for your birthday. Darling, just, it's okay. Wait till your birthday or whatever occasion, Christmas or big holiday. Darling, daddy said yes, but not right now, not until that day. And you know what they will do? They'll believe every word I'll say. And they'll calmly put that toy back in the shelf. They don't kick, they don't scream. They have full confidence that their dad will keep his word. Mary is confident in the promises of God because of everything he has said and done in the past. That's why she refers to the things of the past and the ancestors and Abraham. Not a single promise God has made has been broken. Not one. And this will include the promise to send a son, to kill a son, to raise a son, and to seat a son. We can be just as confident as Mary due to God's faithfulness. So let me conclude with this. First thing is, let us respond to the joy we have received. Let's respond. A lot of us need to respond by gathering. Some of us need to respond by telling other people. As for Mary, she did it. She gathered and she told people about it. Secondly, and last, magnify Jesus. Make it about him. I am currently saving up to get a telescope uh, for my eldest daughter, Grace. Because right now, Grace, she's into astronomy. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I don't know where it came from. She's been fascinated by the moon, the stars and the planets. And since I was told that um, from where I live, we're sort of five minutes from a place where we can actually physically drive to. And the place that we could drive to from where we live, it, it is, it's quite dark. And the reason why that's good so that there's no light pollution, so that everything sort of pops a bit more. And as they said that as you go up, bring the telescope and, and, and Grace will be amazed because everything will just glow and pop in her eyes as she looks in the telescope. And this is what I believe, that when I get that telescope, and as I magnify the stars and the moon and the planets for her, that's going to be a game changer for my daughter. Why? Because as it magnifies, she will love astronomy even more. So church, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, you will see Jesus magnified. And as we magnify him, then like Mary, we will deeply love Jesus more. Let me pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for the joy that by your grace and mercy we have received from you. Help us not to be passive, but help us to be active 
in how we tell people about that joy, how we express that joy, how, we, how it brings us and gathers us in joy. And as we see others experiencing and loving and shouting about that joy, it would make us even more joyful. And Jesus, through this season, through his very difficult season for all of us, help us to magnify you so that we would love you even more. And in your name, Jesus, we pray.